Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks so much for coming by and hanging out with us here on Reppin', a podcast where we talk about all things representation. But you can represent a lot of things, right? From ethnicity, gender, orientation, to ideas and values. Well, we cover all of those things here. And today, I'm psyched to have an actor whose work I have long enjoyed. You've seen him on some incredible shows. He was Sergeant Antonio Espera in HBO's Generation Kill. I also absolutely loved him as Detective Javier Esposito from the very popular and long-running series, Castle. And of course, he plays Miguel Rivas on NBC's enormous hit, This Is Us. We're repping with John Huertas. So John, first and foremost, thank you so much for participating on Reppin. Absolutely. Now you're of Puerto Rican descent, correct? Yeah, half Puerto Rican, uh, half, and I've got Native American, I've got uh, Caucasian, um, Afro-Latino, so, and there's black in my blood as well. So it's, uh, it's you know, to me, uh, I feel like I'm the future. Absolutely. It's what every American, I'm what every American will look like. Well, I've, le- I've less Asian in me, I only have like, I think it's 2% Asian, so. I got you covered on that end. Yeah, we covered for that. Yeah, yeah but if, if that's what the future of America looks like, I, I think we're looking pretty good, John. Well, I think that's when things will get, you know, once we can, you know, maybe not differentiate from each other physically, it'll be so much harder to hate each other. So, you know, I, you know, once we start all looking the same, you know, then maybe we'll finally understand that we're all one race. Absolutely. You have been in entertainment for many years. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences working in media? And also, you know, even let's start even further back, actually, when you were growing up and you didn't you weren't an actor yet, but you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. What sort of heroes that you had that you could look to that you could relate to? Yeah, well, I mean, growing up, uh, I wanted to be an actress in second grade. I loved TV and film and stage as well when I, when I could see a play. But most, most of the plays I saw, I was, I was in because I was participating in theaters. But I, uh, I didn't see anybody that I could relate to that might have had the same experiences in life that I did. As far as when I looked at who my heroes might be or my strongest influences or my, my biggest role models, um, people I could look to for mentorship, because there weren't a lot of opportunities for people, uh, men of color back then. None of, you know, there weren't a lot of, of men of color playing superheroes and they weren't playing like the, the cowboys. They weren't playing the, the father of the wholesome family necessarily. Right. Not until I was already older. There wasn't anybody for me to look up to until I think I was in high school and I saw somebody on screen, not in a heroic role, but somebody I thought, wow, they, they kind of, they feel like, like who I am. It was Eastside Morales in a movie called Bad Boys. Right. Um, right. With Sean Penn. And the movie definitely 
touched me in a certain way. It reminded me just of, of you know, a little bit about my background. And, and Isai was just somebody who, you know, I recognized right away. And he was a Puerto Rican on, you know, this big movie. And, uh, you know, to me, I was like, that's that's my role model. That's my hero. Not the character he was playing because he played, you know, a guy in prison who wanted to kill this other guy. But there's an there's an actor who's telling me that I could do it because I didn't really have anybody that I could look up to and say, I want to be like that guy. I want to do what that guy's doing. Right. And when you saw that, like, did you realize the absence of it? I didn't, I didn't really realize the absence of it because in our society for many, many, many years, society tells us what's normal and society tells us what's normal through media. So when I see, when I finally see Isai, I don't see it as, I didn't see it as a moment of finally, I saw it as this is just normal. It's normal because this is what I see on television. This is what I read in, right. in newspapers. This is, you know, this is the way it is in my school. It's, it's normal to not be represented if you will. Right. And it took a lot of people other than, than Esai, people like Edward James Olmos yes. and, you know, Benjamin Bratt, Jimmy Smith, Anthony Quinn. Mm, yes. There were men that were making strides in the business I wanted to be in that were also allowing themselves to be seen on screen in great roles that appealed to a general market audience that kind of allowed us, you know, allowed people of my background to start being seen. But then, you know, over time, we've just seen, we've seen a lot of changes with regards to gender equality, ethnic equality, uh, racial equality. There have been, there's parity in a lot of ways. You can't compare to the 70s and 80s. Here's the thing, when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and I'm uh, a native New Yorker, but I had almost nobody to to look to in my community and also in television. And I didn't really understand why I didn't fit in. But you breaking into the business, you know, it's an especially difficult business uh, working in entertainment in Hollywood. Can you share some of your experiences, both positive and maybe some more difficult challenges that you had to face? But you have learned from those challenges and, and how those challenges ultimately helped you. I mean, the challenges of breaking into the entertainment business don't necessarily uh, equate to um, an, an ethnic thing. They do, but they don't. It is a hard business. I just did a thing yesterday and one of the panelists that I was on the panel with said that you're more likely to win a gold medal at the Olympics than you are to become like a series regular on a TV show or to... Uh, you know, write a script that someone produces. There's just a higher likelihood. Right. Uh, but which is just like uncanny to me. I don't know if I believe him, but it sounds about right. And, you know, when you move out here, there are thousands and thousands of other people around the world that also want to work in Hollywood or, or, you know, be working actors. So I faced those challenges first, that it's just a really hard egg to crack. Sure. And those challenges were, you know, I got ripped off when I first moved out here. Oh, God. One of those um, sorry. radio commercials that says, hey, come audition and see if you have what it takes to make it in Hollywood. And I showed up because I thought, of course I have what it makes to make it in Hollywood. And then, you know, terrible classes, terrible photos. And, you know, it was just right. a bad situation. So from there, I didn't know who to, who to even talk to. And I had an agent back in Texas that made a call for me to uh, ABC Studios back then. And they were doing an MOW and I got a job and then I got a, um, an agent in California from that job. You know, I, that's kind of how I cracked. But then after that, once I got my agent, then I started going out for auditions and I was noticing that they were mostly, you know, me being uh, Latino, they were mostly like, you know, gangbangers, bad guys, right. you know, guest stars on shows, 
for those types of roles. There weren't a lot of, you know, positive roles. So I had to, you know, I didn't like gangbanging. Right. I didn't like the whole gangster culture from the rom- romantic part of it. I didn't want to romanticize that sure. culture. And I didn't want to also project onto my own people that this is who we are. I don't want it. I didn't want Hollywood to project it on because the only way we stop doing it is to stop thinking that we're supposed to. Right. But I had to actually take those jobs, get those try or try try to get those jobs and then take those jobs because, you know, as an actor, you have to prove yourself hireable and then do a, a you know, stand up job when doing the work. So That's a tough I had spot. To do that. So it was, you know, a pill I had to swallow. And then eventually once I was proving myself hireable, then they were seeing me for roles that were a little more open. And it took time and I'm not one of those actors I think got like some kind of big break or something. I've just always gradually been like kind of building and building and building. I call myself like a working class actor. You know, some people get that one role, that big break, just like catapults them. But right. some people, most of us, most of us actors, you know, we work and grind and have a hopefully an, a middle class existence, lower middle class existence, whatever it is, or an right. upper middle class existence. You know, some of the struggles now are like once you do have a career, you're trying to establish parity with your fellow actors who might not be actors of color. And the one thing about, I think, the adult male Latino is that we don't get a lot of, we don't get as much in the ways of the leading man roles when it comes to television and film. We are usually, we usually work in low-wage menial jobs, gardeners. The archetypes, stereotypes. Like that, yeah. And Or we work, we're like, you know, cop number five on a tv show or emt number five or fireman number five or or below and then when it comes time for us to try to renegotiate like with the rest of our cast we usually don't get the same the same kind of of love you know our our value we're usually devalued a little bit yeah i think it's a systemic way that the that america looks at latinos other than the business that i'm in uh i've also you know done real estate stuff like that and and construction like with my my properties and and i've got partners and we want to go out and hire people to work on the property they're always like hey we gotta get we gotta get the lowest bid we gotta you know try to find the the cheapest labor let's go find some latinos we we go with this contractor because he's latino it's gonna be a lot cheaper than this so that's i think there's something there that i've had to deal with not only in my industry but that we're dealing with overall in every industry and it definitely bleeds into hollywood another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You were talking about how those challenges go beyond Hollywood, and I certainly agree with that. Yeah. Do you feel like that... Um, those kinds of challenges are being faced by everyone that's com- that are underrepresented, Latinos, Asian Americans, so on and so forth. Yes, I mean I, I do. I think that um, everybody 
everybody right now is facing something. I mean, even even white male actors, white uh, male directors, white white male writers in Hollywood are actually facing the same thing I faced for many years in this business, and they're facing it now because of women's movement, diversity movements within the studio and network systems, and and, and so I think that. You know, kind of everybody's facing a little something right now, but also there is a lot of growth with women. There's a lot of growth with the Asian community. I've, you know, I, I've always thought that the Asian community, uh, Far East and East, you know, have always been marginalized in television and film. In the last five to ten years, has been this explosion, which I, I love. Uh, my my ex-wife is, is Asian, and I've always, you know, I studied martial arts for many years, so the Asian culture is something i love it always pained me to see that you know asians never ever got leading roles and if they were they, it had to be a kung fu movie right and it's like finally or, yeah or we're triad gang members yeah but i think also it, it's a it's a testament to the the asian community that they've definitely decided like we're gonna we're gonna make our mark we're gonna do our thing every community is, i think is looked at differently from a um uh, societal perspective i think the, the thing for the thing about asians and what they've mostly always been discriminated uh with is or, or, or kind of projected onto is that all oh, asians are, are the smart ones and they're the peaceful they're the peaceful smart ones and that's always that's what's been projected onto their you know the, to your community right. um the asian community said okay we'll, we'll be the smart ones whether it be tech finance or whatever like you know asians have excelled and that and they've figured out how to excel also now or starting to figure out how to excel in Hollywood. There's a lot of, there's like executives at, you know, at studios and networks that are Asian and they make the decisions on who's going to be in a movie, what kind of movies get made, what kind of television shows get made now. And, you know, we don't have any really any Latinos in those positions. We don't, right. I mean, there's also not a lot of blacks in those higher positions, but, but African-Americans have also made some huge strides with shows like blackish, Right, um, right. Shonda Rhimes, what she's been doing is just amazing. And, and Latina females have also yeah. done very well. Now I think it's, you know, for me, I'm, the reason I'm starting to uh, develop content, produce and direct is because there's a hole there that I want to fill. You know, there aren't a lot of Latino writers. We didn't have any on Castle, in the, in the room on Castle. I think one season we had one. I've Out of 300 episodes of television that I've done, I've done over 300 episodes of television. I've only been directed on television by one adult male Latino. Wow. In 25 years. So there's there's a, there's a hole there. And I think there's a responsibility not only for Hollywood and, and casting people and, and networks to say, hey, we're going to hire people. I think it's up to actors like me who have 25 years of experience to say, hey, man, I need to step up now and, and use my experience and become a director, become yeah. a content creator and be that person that I've been missing for the next generation. One of the things that I've found over the years is that we would rather complain about not having representation instead of stepping up and being a representation. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to complain about not having representation. I'm going to step up and be the representation. I think you are definitely doing that job for so many that are coming up behind you, much like Isa Morales, Anthony Quinn may have done for you. Have you had any sort of fan experiences or heard from fans that came up to you and you realized the impact you were making on them? Yeah, I mean, I've had other actors, um, mostly, that, that I just see at certain um, panels or events or something like that. And they will will say that, you know, I've kind of been a role model. Uh, well, I have been a role model. It's always I'm always embarrassed by kind of things like that because I don't look <laughs> at myself sure. as being that. 
Yeah, I have had that. Also, you know, one of the greatest jobs uh, that I've ever had is Generation Kill on HBO. Yes. And yes. I've had veterans that stop me in the street still. I mean, that was over 11 years ago. And yeah, I've had like, I, I was uh, on Fairfax Avenue in, in, uh, in Hollywood and I was, I was coming out of a shoe store. Um, one of those like shoe stores where people line up down the street when like a new Nike yeah. drops yeah, or something. Yeah. I just went in to get a new pair of shoes. I wasn't <laughs> in line. I wasn't going to pay the, the $2,000 people pay. Um, I was coming out of there. I bought a pair of shoes and I hear somebody's like say in my ear, like as I pass them, Snipper Fi. And that's usually something a Marine says to a Marine. I turn around. I'm like, I'm not a Marine. I said it. So I'm not a, I'm not a Marine man. So I, I'm sorry. He goes, no, but you play one on TV, don't you? I did. He goes, yeah, Generation County. Like, and then he just went into this right. whole thing about how like that show like changed his life. And, and he was a Marine and he served, he invaded Iraq. And he was, right. you know, like finally someone told a story that felt more like what I experienced and not a romanticized version of it or a fictional version of it. Right. That's the kind of feedback that you like to get when we're doing what we're doing. And we're hope hopefully we are influencing people positively. And that's why I don't want to do those, you know, narco kingpins or those drug smugglers right. or those kinds of roles anymore because who am I impacting positively with that type of role? Like right. we have someone that's going to be on TV, Gabriel Luna, who's a fantastic actor, is going to be doing the uh, the guy with the flaming skull head. Ghostwriter? Ghostwriter, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Ghostwriter series coming. Yeah. Dropping that Gabriel Luna plays Ghost. It was, uh, he, he originally um, did it on the, um, the TV show on ABC uh, about the Marvel agents. Oh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is where they, like, premiered his character. Right. He was on there as a recurring character, and now they're going to make it. Right. Well, I mean, uh, just to jump on that, I mean, Marvel did just announce recently that they are having their first, I think, all Asian um, superhero movie. Yeah, I told you guys we're doing great right now. We're, we're, <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing. It's like, let me just ask you this. Like, finally, I feel like the door is cracking open, certainly for Asian Americans, because we had Crazy Rich Asians. Um, yeah. The Farewell. Aquafina's busting fresh out. Fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat. And to be honest with you, and I said this to... Um, um, a couple of people that, and I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I'm going to be very honest with you. When I went to go see Crazy Rich Asians, I was truly just going to like support the film. But when right. I walked out of the film, what I didn't realize was how badly I needed to see that for myself. Yeah. Before Crazy Rich Asians, it was 25 years earlier or something like that, that I had the Joy Luck Club. So right. between the Joy Luck Club and Crazy Rich Asians, there was nothing else. Asian Americans were no. also like nurses, nerds, Always doctors. Nerds, yeah. yeah. Always I, nurses. I will yeah, happily I mean, break that story. strides with uh, Killing Eve. Yes, absolutely. And she's been in the game for so right. long. Uh, Margaret Cho. Yep. Michelle Yeoh. She's been around for a long time. Right. And I think that one thing that Hollywood does is that they, they mark who the cool kid is. Right. Hollywood's like high school. Yeah, it totally is. With high stakes. So the people they choose are the cool kids. And those are the ones that are always, they're always going to pick them. What Hollywood does, they trust them. Everybody wants to follow the cool kids. So we don't want to, they don't necessarily want to hire someone who's not a cool kid. Because right. we, we might not get the audience to follow them. So that's, it's, it's a, you know, formula that has been going on in Hollywood for a long time. With, you know, the Asian Americans right now that are doing great, they've been definitely picked as the cool kids. I saw, I also have some Asian American friends, <laughs> some Asian American friends who are actors who are phenomenal, right. who aren't, working, you know, working right? as much. Right. But, and then there's, there's a show warrior. Who's, it's an Asian right. story and it's a, uh, it's it, tons of Asian leads on the show, but just not a lot of people are watching it because they don't know about it.
Which actually brings me to uh, something that you had brought up earlier. You, again, John, have a great, solid body of work. You've been a part of projects that told a lot of great stories, like Generation Kill, This Is Us. And on Castle, you and Stan Akatic won a PRISM Award, where in one episode, you tackled the issue of PTSD. That episode was so good. Thank you. You guys did such a great job. Thank you. And mental health, you know, that's a whole nother subject that needs so much more attention. Can you talk a little bit more about your efforts to use this platform that you have in creating content, in producing and directing? Why is that important and how powerful is it? So for me, when you say that there, yeah, there's, it's been 25 years between, uh, you know, film, a film that affects the Asian American community in a way that makes, you know, that makes you think you're seeing, you're seeing yourself or representation right. yourself, that you understand the story and the plight or their um, point of view. It's the same, I think, with, uh, with, with me being a Latino and like, you know, when's the last time I saw a, a Latino standing up there getting an Emmy right. or even get nominated for an Emmy or, or a Golden Globe, like, a, like someone like me, right. a male. Or like being a solid romantic lead or right, exactly. not any yeah. kind of I met with an executive once and she was like, I want to, I want, I'm trying to create content where the, you know, where the Latinos, you know, experiences the same, you know, what is a, when are we going to see a Latino experiencing that kind of stuff where, you know, he's like the kind of quirky character who can't find a woman, you know, or right. catch a break with his work or whatever. So that, you know, we don't see those kind of characters. Um, all I can do is, again, what I was saying before is have my company and try to create content and try to use the experience that I have to hopefully convince someone that I'm the right person to tell that next story. Because sure. all the content that I'm creating, none of it can be called latino content it's content that will definitely shine a light on very strong well-developed latino characters it's content that the general market audience will want to watch because that's the one thing that crazy rich asians did is that a lot of people saw it not just asians yeah so what it's doing is it's introducing people that might not know much about Asian culture or the Asian point of view when it comes to a, a, a simple love story. It's, it's, it's showing people that this is the Asian perspective. This is the Asian point of view. That's the kind of content I want to create is that, you know, general market can understand the Latino point of view in a, in a Romeo and Juliet story or in, in any story. So for people who may not understand the importance of representation or inclusion, can you explain to people why it's so important to be seen and what society truly actually has to gain with diversity and inclusion and representation. Because a lot of times I feel like people feel threatened if they can't label something or they can't, they don't understand like, like why representation is, has become this quote unquote thing recently in the last few years. Right. But for people like you and I, we kind of have been living it just, you know, that's been our lives. Um, can you explain to people why representation does matter? Representation is important because it's not necessarily important to for me to be represented so that other people can see me. It's more important for me to be represented so more people like me can see that I'm represented. And then what that does is it would allow people to then start having a wider perspective. I think the perspective is important. Uh, I think that the two most important words that I live by and try to share with people our perspective and compassion and so if you can create a wider perspective and the only way you can create a wider perspective when it comes to human beings is to have all types of human beings represented in media because media is the one thing that 
everyone's exposed to in right, some way. Right. There are a lot of people that don't go online or that don't watch TV or that don't watch movies. There's only a handful of people that go out into the woods and live off the land with right. no electronics. You know what I'm saying? Right. So perspective is only gained by representation and so that you can have a wider perspective and see that everyone's represented and then you start to get an understanding which will bring you totally to a place of compassion so you have compassion for every single person every single type of person and from there compassion is the most healing of emotions you know if you have compassion for your fellow man then you will give your hand to your fellow man and pull him up if you have compassion even for the people who you feel um, might be holding you down, you might still be able to reach your hand up and then they'll hopefully match that with the same equal compassion and pull you up. So I think that, you know, perspective and compassion will come from representation. John, uh, we have a signature finale here. Let me know who you are and what you represent. Well, I'm John Huertas and I represent the age and change. Huge thanks to my guest, John Huertas, for coming by. I loved chatting with him. Be sure to follow John on Twitter. His handle is at John underscore Huertas. Thanks to my technical director and maestro, Nelson Pinero, for his work and for always making sure everything runs smoothly and for making us sound great. Gracie Kong for always being by my side. Next time on Reppin', if you want to know what punk rock and Kofi Annan have in common, check us out, because we know. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Till next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.